Welcome to Sex Spoken Here with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a sex coach and relationship psychologist and created this show to help you solve any sexual problems, learn about all things sexy, sensual, and intimate, and create your ideal lasting relationship. In my virtual therapy room, I answer questions, interview experts, and provide tips that you can use straight away. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create a problem-free, exciting sex life. Make sure you join us to be up to date on all events and to easily access coaching at www.the-intimacy-coach.com. Welcome to my virtual therapy room. I am Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee, and this is Sex Spoken Here. Today, I answer the question, what is being poly, a swinger, having an open relationship really like with relationship stories I've gathered over my years as a non-monogamist, as a therapist, and as a coach? Remember, this podcast deals with adult themes, so if you don't have privacy, you might wish to put on your headphones. Personally, I never understood why someone would expect one person to meet all of their needs. It seemed to me that I could easily love more than one person at a time, and that doing so meant that I got to have a variety and had a more stable support network. But I grew up in a family with parents who were not only monogamous, but my mother had never had a sexual relationship with anyone other than my father. She met him at age 16, and they married when she was 18. My grandmother, her mother, had three husbands and at least one other relationship and urged my mother to find her one man and stick with him. My mother has often said that I am much like my grandmother and associated this with having a harder life and making poor choices. Whereas I see this as having a rich life, albeit with with more complications than the average person coming from a heteronormative background. I was actively encouraged to adopt my parents' worldview and to look for the one person I would settle down with and have a family with. For a variety of reasons, this didn't appeal to me, but the pressure was intense. So much so that I had a monogamous marriage as my first marriage. Many of the people I've met, shared life with, interviewed, and worked with over the past 37 years I was 17 when I was in my first proper consensual non-monogamous relationship. I've experienced the same pressure to conform to their families and society's expectations. Anne Marie has been a swinger for the past 25 years. She was in a monogamous marriage when the subject first came up. She and her husband had little exciting sex together. She described it as their rhythms not matching. She enjoyed leisurely sensual sex, and he liked rough, intense sex. The lack of agreement made for sex that was less than satisfying for both of them. She said they both always felt compromised, which made her very sad. Anne-Marie said that they spoke of breaking up, but that they got along in every other way, so they both felt it would be wrong to do so. At the same time, neither wanted to give up sex, even though sex with each other didn't work terribly well. She described looking through a local magazine that ran ads for escort workers, professional dominatrices, and personal ads together trying to see if they could come up with something that would excite them both. 
She said they came upon an ad for a swingers club. The place looked cool and we were excited reading the details. We decided to try it that weekend. We were so excited getting ready and it felt like it did when we first got together. We made an agreement that we would only watch the first time and play with each other and off we went. The night was amazing. We had some of the best sex of our relationship when we got home. So we decided to go again. This time we agreed that we might ask another man to join us for some fun while we were there. At first, we didn't meet anyone that either of us was interested in, but after midnight, Roger arrived, and it was like a spark hit for both of us. I hadn't known that my husband always fantasized about sharing me with another man. That night, he was able to act out the fantasy, and we all had a great time. One explosive orgasm after another. And when we got home, it was even better sex. So that was when we became swingers. After that, we created our own ad for the magazine. We joined our local swingers club. When the internet arrived, we created a profile on all the main swinger sites. We went to the club twice a month at first. Then we would go to the club once a month and get together privately with friends or go to a party once a month. In the last few years, it's only been once a month as we have been busy with other things, but we still love it. Anne-Marie's description brings back the excitement from when she first discovered swinging. There are so many styles of consensual non-monogamy that it highlights how individual each relationship is. John and Gregory met at a partner swapping party given by friends. Because when we met, we were each in semi-monogamous relationships, we really didn't consider the possibility of getting together. We had a great time and then followed the rules and said goodbye. A month later, we attended another party and rigged things so we'd end up together again, even though this was really against the rules. We said goodbye again reluctantly, and without the other one knowing, both of us ended our relationships within two weeks after that second party. I got in touch with Greg a week after by email and told him how I felt about him. He told me he felt the same, so we got together for dinner, which wound up with us having hot sex in the restaurant toilets and then going home together. After a month, we decided to come see you so we could make sure we had good agreements about how our relationship would work. We didn't want to find ourselves splitting up because we made assumptions. That was John speaking. John and Gregory saw me for 40 hours of sex and intimacy coaching, all told over about six months. Eight hours of that was individual work and the rest of the sessions were as a couple. They spent their time looking at their expectations creating clear agreements about communication, time spent together, relationship goals, other sexual relationships, boundaries, and limits. They tried out their agreements around not how non-monogamy would work during the work, and then they looked at how they felt. So they went out for a couple of dates and saw how they felt and brought it back into the sessions. Greg became jealous when John prioritized a date with someone new over their regular monthly poker game, Greg worked on his feelings and they added an agreement about what types of things are prioritized for their relationship. In this case, they agreed that the poker game was not to be prioritized in the future. This is important because Greg dealt with his feelings 
And the result of the discussion with John was not the change in John's behavior. Because there are times where when we feel upset about something, we need to manage our own feelings so that the other person can continue to behave in the perfectly reasonable way that they behaved in the first place. When Greg and John moved in with each other one year after we finished the work, they came back to see me for four sessions to revisit some of their agreements in light of them living together. John still wanted to make sure he had his alone time, and so they agreed one night per week of separate time. As neither of them had started other lasting relationships, this worked well. But I did remind them that if one of them had another lasting relationship and still wanted some alone time, the one night a week probably would not work. Sometimes it's not possible to involve everyone who is romantically attached to the people seeking help in the work that I do. When Tara and Ruby came to see me, they'd been together two years. Ruby lived with Wendy for four years and Tara had no other steady partners. Wendy had been seeing Jeff for about 18 months. Yes, I know that's complicated. They came to see me because Tara did not manage Ruby's relationship with Wendy well at all. Tara wanted to get to know Wendy and any other partners that Ruby had, as she said that this made her feel safer. Wendy did not want to meet Ruby's other partners, and they had an agreement that they would not meet each other's paramours, so Tara's insistence on meeting Wendy in the future caused a problem for Ruby. Tara started by saying, I feel less safe when I don't know the other important people in my lover's life. I identify as polyamorous, but I rarely have more than one partner at a time because I find it difficult to divide my time and my attention. Ruby's reply was, I feel pressured to push Wendy to change our agreement because you get so upset about me spending time with her. I feel you do not respect my relationship with her, which was there before you were. I feel pressured to spend more time with you and devote more attention to you because when I do not, you become depressed. Though we invited Wendy to take part in this work, she was adamant she didn't want to meet Tara and that she wanted Tara to take a step back because the pressure was causing issues in her relationship with Ruby. Ruby and Tara tried to negotiate new agreement as to time and priorities in their relationship. After a few months of this work, Tara admitted she was not comfortable with a polyamorous relationship where the paramours and even metamors, those are the people that your partner's involved with, so Jeff is Ruby's metamor because he is the lover of Wendy, did not know each other. And so Tara and Ruby ended their relationship amicably. Other times, people come in as a group to work on various aspects of their relationships. When this happens, I often end up seeing people in different relationship combinations for some sessions, individuals for other sessions, and the whole group for some sessions. Robert Lance and Maria came in to work with me in order to look at how expectations caused issues in their relationships with each other and to clarify and agree upon the expectations that they had of each other. Lance and Maria are married. And at the time they came into coaching, they'd been married for 15 years. Robert was single at that time and had been involved with Maria for two years. They originally met at a kink event and had some fun together. 
Lance realized that Robert was very interested in Maria, but not interested in him. And so he stepped back and encouraged Robert and Maria to form their own relationship. This worked well for the first six months, and then the fractures began appearing. Robert complained that Maria expected him to drop everything when she was available to see him, but that she always prioritized her relationship with Lance. Lance complained that it felt like Maria prioritized her relationship with Robert. Maria complained that both men expected her to be at their beck and call and that they rarely paid attention to what she needed and wanted. It quickly became clear that Robert waited around a lot for Maria to be available and that he tended not to plan things with friends or other possible lovers because he wanted to be there when Maria was free. This is very much um, like the mistress syndrome where you see women who are involved in non-consensual polyamorous relationships or involved in affairs with married or committed men will wait around in the hopes that they'll get time with their lover. And as they feel that they get so little time with their lover, they don't want to be doing other things when they might have been spending time. It's a recipe for disaster. Though Robert initially saw this behavior as Maria's expectation of him, when he examined it further, he did realize that it was his desire to have more time with Maria which meant that he chose to wait around in case she was free. When she wasn't free enough, he became upset and angry and blamed her for how he was feeling. Robert and Maria made a clear agreement in their work to see each other one evening or night per week. Maria encouraged Robert to date other people and Robert agreed that he would try to do so. Lance said that he felt better having clear parameters as to when Robert and Maria would see each other. Maria negotiated an, addif an additional day, evening, night per week for herself with Lance and said that she might use this to date or she might use this as time for herself. Lance still felt that Maria was prioritizing her relationship with Robert, but he was able to take responsibility for these feelings. It was clear that she was not, as they had a steady and stable night per week negotiated. Robert and Lance had a session together to improve their communication. When they left the coaching, the separate relationships were going strong and the three even enjoyed some social time together. When Robert had a new partner about six months down the line, he invited his partner for some social time with the rest of the group. And the last I spoke with them, they were taking an annual holiday together with everybody, metamors, paramours, husbands, wives, and having an absolute blast. Armin and Jerry have been, Jerry have been married for 20 years. After 15 years of marriage, they found their relationship was stagnant. Armin talked at length about the routine. Every day was the same. Every date night was the same. Every holiday was the same. Armin and Jerry have always communicated well. They talk to each other about being attracted to other people. 
One evening, Jerry decided to tell Armin an erotic story. She created a story in which she met someone on one of her business trips. They both found this story extremely hot and enjoyed the sex so much that the next day they began talking about how they might try this in reality. When I met up with them, they explained to me how they structured their relationship from there. Armin told me that they started by making some ground rules. Rule number one, no giving out contact details to dates. Rule number two, one date only. Rule number three, no sleepover dates. Rule number four, dates only went away on trips. And rule number five, safe sex only. For the past five years, they've enjoyed adding these spicy encounters to their sex life. Armin says that the rules have made it possible for us to have a variety without jealousy. We still share each and every encounter. We are having as much fun as we did when we began 20 years ago. This is an example of a consensual non-monogamous relationship where all the details are shared. This can be somewhat different from uh, some of the other forms because you are actually involving the other partner in the relationship. Um, for Armin and Jerry, this works brilliantly. They have a great time. Some couples find this a little bit difficult um, and have to work through feelings of jealousy. Other couples prefer really not to know anything at all about their partner's other relationships. So I'd like to answer a question sent in by Josh uh, around that type of relationship who asked whether don't ask, don't tell can work. Don't ask, don't tell is when a couple agrees they can have occasional sexual encounters with others but they will not tell each other about these encounters and they won't ask each other if they're having them. So it's not an affair because it's consensual. There is an agreement in place, but there is no sharing that goes on. Now for some couples, this works well long-term and for others, this doesn't work well at all. Problems arise when evidence is discovered by the other partner that reminds them that their partner may not be, ha may be having sexual relationships with other people. So um, you're cleaning out someone's jacket pockets and you find a receipt or you see a photograph somewhere. Other times, the extra couple sexual activity is highlighted because of sexually transmitted infection a poor choice for extra couple partners. So this would be somebody who might telephone the home um, and is not willing to have a one night stand. So we'll badger the person that they had the relationship with. Couples who do this successfully usually limit the experiences to a certain number of times per year or to when they are away from home or in many cases, both. In some ways, it's my opinion, this is actually the more complicated, though the most common way of having a consensually non-monogamous relationship. In my experience, 
most important is for couples to be clear about boundaries, expectations, priorities, and how to manage the inevitable conflict in schedule that arises. In some ways, boundaries can be the most important. Boundaries are your ability to draw a line in the sand that someone will not cross and to draw a line in the sand that you will not cross. This includes what you talk about with people and what you share with people. Someone who has good boundaries respects the type of relationship they have with other people. They're very clear that what they share um, is comfortable for themselves and for others. They're able to separate what is their space from space that belongs to other people. In relationships, this also means that they're able to know how much, how much contact is appropriate, for example, when it's appropriate to um, contact someone else who's involved in the relationship, whether it's appropriate to um, telephone somebody at home. There's respect for the other person, the other person's space, the other person's physical person. For example, is it appropriate to touch your coworker? Is it appropriate to touch um, your employee? That's a boundary that in many cases cannot be crossed. Boundaries make it possible to manage um, difficult feelings and to manage difficult situations more effectively. They also limit the number of difficult situations that a person will get in. If you have decent boundaries and you're careful about your boundaries and the boundaries of others, you're less likely to end up in conflict. And when you do end up in conflict or, or a problem does arise, you find it much easier to sort the problem out because you can see which feelings are yours, which feelings are theirs, and you can work respectfully with them on sorting them out. The last um, type of relationship that um, was alluded to during one of the stories but wasn't talked about in depth just yet is the menage a trois, which is probably one of the most popular um, consensual non-monogamous relationships slash experiences that um, couples may have. A menage a trois is when three people get together to have sex. It is usually when a couple invite a third person in to join them for sex. This type of experience can be a way for one or both partners to explore same-sex interactions. It can be a way for one partner to explore what it feels like to be a voyeur and the other to explore what it feels like to be an exhibitionist. Not all menage a trois involve same-sex interaction. So, for example, um, 
there are frequently uh, two men, one woman situations where the men don't actually touch each other sexually. All the interaction is through the woman. Um, and um, there are also situations where it's two women, one man, where the women don't touch each other, although that is actually less common. Menage a trois have often some very clear expectations. Um, many times it is expected that this will be a one-off situation. Um, sometimes couples even hire somebody to come join them. The risks in menage a trois that I've seen is that um, sometimes couples don't think clearly about inviting somebody to bed to join them. So, for example, um, situations in which uh, your girlfriend has another girlfriend and you think it would be cool if she joined you um, without actually thinking about what the boundaries are going to be during the situation, but more importantly, what will the boundaries be after the situation and how this might impact the friendship between the two women. And it's worth having a think about that before impulsively getting involved in a menage a trois as, as um, having sexual contact with each other will definitely change a friendship. I hope you enjoy many consensual non-monogamous adventures Thank you for joining me this week for the third part of Non-Monogamies for Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Please write to me with suggestions for the show, any questions you want answered at drbisbee at the-intimacy-coach.com. Follow me on Twitter where I'm Dr. Bisbee. For a free 30-minute session with me, go to www.the-intimacy-coach.com and click the button that says schedule now. I look forward to seeing you next week for part four of this series. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes or on Stitcher. And make sure you head over to www.the-intimacy-coach.com to subscribe for free newsletter updates to help you create and sustain an exciting trouble-free sexual life. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes on all topics, sexy, sensual, and intimate. Thanks for listening. <laughs>